right, we are now joined by a very, very special guest. It is three-time recurring guest, friend of the podcast. It is Philadelphia Phillies pitcher Matt Strom. Uh, hey, we were just talking three times. That's that's no small feat. I always appreciate it when you come on. Matt, it's great to see you. How are you? I'm great, and thanks for having me. You make it so easy, so it's not it's not it's not hard to jump on here with you. So, oh, so it's nice that, to be dude. back. One of my all-time favorites. Um, so I wanted to start because I said Philly's pitcher. I didn't say specify a starter or reliever. I, I think it. there's a quote from you. You you don't like putting a designation on either one of those. You're more just like I like being a pitcher, and you did yeah. both roles very well last year. Like, how, did you learn anything about yourself going back and forth between the the bullpen and in the starting rotation last year? I mean, my entire career has kind of been that whole roller coaster. I don't even know what spring training this is for me. I think it's spring number nine in big league camp. And I think there's only been two years that have shown up to camp knowing that, Hey, you're going to be a reliever. Otherwise it's always like come ready to start and we'll figure it out from there. But, uh, you know, I think from this year, early in your year, you're trying to identify what you do and who you are. And this year it was like, just, all out compete and it definitely stemmed from the clubhouse you when you have a clubhouse of guys like Kyle Schwarber JT I mean JT catches 150 games a year and it's ridiculous like he's the, the epitome of a grinder so you know when you have guys around you like that who just want to compete and win every day you I mean you're just selfish to look at yourself and be like I want to do x y or z instead of just whatever these guys need to win is it easy to feed off that kind of energy in the clubhouse? Oh yeah. And like, that's, what's cool about our clubhouse. You don't need to look for it. You don't need to like, like I've been in some clubhouses where it's kind of, I don't want to say clicky, but like one side of the clubhouse, maybe a little more sour than the other side, or like just depending on who's playing what, but like this clubhouse, everyone keeps each other. It's not that we like are walking around like, Hey, pick your head up, do this, but it's just the vibe of the clubhouse just picks everyone up. And I mean, it's yeah, I, I can't explain it. And it's, it's fun to be a part of. Ooh, here's something I've talked to some guys and they said that like, there is sort of like a division between position players and pitchers and like, they'll, they'll go out on the road and like the pitchers will kind of hang out with each other and the position players. There's not a lot of yeah. like intermingling. Is that the case in Philly? I feel like everybody there is probably just like one big family. No, we definitely are. And uh, again, I give a lot of props to Kyle Schwarber. Um, you know, I think it's uh, the ex catcher in him. He misses us pitchers. Uh, he doesn't get to hang out with us anymore or as much. So, I mean, team dinners, Kyle is hitting up all 26 guys that are up on that roster and, Hey, let's go to dinner. Let's do this. This is what we got. And uh, yeah, I've definitely been on teams where it's like, Hey, there's a bullpen dinner. Hey, there's a starting pitchers dinner. And then there's an infield or not like little, again, it sounds high school, but little clicks. And uh, yeah, it was, it was very, it was very fun, and it was it was cool to be a part of last year and see how they just again they vibe as one team. Kind of reminds That's, me of like yeah. travel ball when you're 12 to 14 years old. Like we're all just players. Like let's just go, let's go dick around in the pool for an hour and then go <laughs> beat some butt on the baseball diamond. <laughs> like that's kind of what the Phillies are, and I like it. That's the best. Like that's a, also a team full of very wealthy individuals. Who grabs the check at dinner? Uh, I mean, it's it's always taken care of, I can tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, no, JT, Trey, uh, Kyle, um, Casty, uh, I mean, Craig Kimbrell, 
all those all those guys are taking very good care of us. We're uh, we're never leaving a restaurant hungry. That's for sure. <laughs> I I love that question so much because I asked our guy Hosmer that question and he yeah. was like, "Oh Manny, Man- Manny's grabbing." It's like, yeah. "All right, thanks Manny." Before the check comes, yeah, it's, but that's that, that's humble Hosmer speaking because Hos I've seen Hos pick up so many. I, last year was the first year I never played in the big leagues with Hosmer. Did you know that? Oh <laughs> no! So I, played, I played for three different teams up until that point. Phillies were my fourth team last year. Played for three different teams over seven seasons, and Eric Hosmer was on all of them. How's he doing, by the way? Have we have you checked in with him? I, I wanted to get him back on this podcast. I don't know logistically what that would look like. Yeah, um, he's the goat. How have you checked in with him? I mean, I've been just checking in on him through social media and stuff. Just looks like he's enjoying dad life, and I mean, I would love to see him keep playing. I just I hated how it ended for him in San Diego, and I mean, I again, he is he is one of the ultimate. He for sure is on the top three of my ultimate teammate list and uh and all three of the other the two other guys are probably all one as well they're all probably one but uh you know he's he's an unbelievable competitor and he loves playing the game he got this weird stigma in san diego that hits too many ground balls and all this it's like no that is eric hosmer he's gonna hit 280 drive in 110 and play first an elite first base and it was i mean he yeah, it was unfortunate how it ended for him there in San Diego. And like I said, I would have loved loved to see him love to see him come back and finish on a high note. But I mean, he's probably happier than hell doing the dad life thing. Yeah, I that's you know, there's a part of me that's like I don't know if it's like selfish, but I just like I want to see him keep playing. Like, you know, it's I I as an outsider, like I didn't grow up a Royals fan or anything. I actually yeah. when the Royals were playing the Orioles, it was tough because it's like that rivalry was kind of big. Um but like getting to know him just through the one time and also just like keeping track with him in like San Diego. Yeah. There was so much hate directed his way. It's like, yeah. Oh, he misplayed a ground ball at first. He's the worst person ever. Yeah. He grounded out, whatever. It's like, and I mean, have you ever seen that? with a contract, I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's sports. I mean, I'm sure the Buffalo bills kicker right now is not enjoying his, his profession. And, uh, you know, it's it's something we have to deal with when we're in the entertainment world, especially in sports. And uh, I I think Hosmer did an unbelievable job handling it, how he I mean, he never once brought that stuff with him into the clubhouse. He never once let it show around any of the guys. And I mean, he'll I'm, I don't want to speak for him. But again, we're humans that that it affects you, no doubt. But he did an unbelievable job of being the ultimate pro and just going about his business and yeah. Everybody needs an Eric Cosmer on their team. hundred percent. I think, I think he could manage a big league team one day, but there again, it would be, does he want to definitely doesn't need to, but does he want to? Cause I think, well, I think he's really good at it. Well spoken enough. He could do a me- the media thing. He'd be, you know, sitting at the desk at MLB network if he wanted to. I also feel like, but yeah, um, no doubt. No doubt. Hey. He'd be, he'd be perfect for that. What? <laughs> he's always got the right suit. He's very well dressed. Yes. To the nines, three piece. Yeah. The whole thing. No um, I had a question because this off season, uh, have you changed anything about your routines? You've been in the bigs. That was your eighth season. Congrats. You're, you're, you're getting close to 10 year service time. Like, have you changed anything about your off season preparation routine? Like, is it more conditioning now? Are we are doing some cardio 
Like what, what's the match drum off season? Like, yeah, I'm chasing a three-year-old around it, uh, that increased my cardio quite a bit. Um, but no, I've, uh, the last couple of years, um, going through all the, the knee stuff I had in 2020 and 2021, um, really just, I mean, a lot, I learned a lot from that. And, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot when I was in Boston, Boston's strength and conditioning and athletic training group is unbelievable. And, uh, again, just carried it over here into Philly. Philly is, I mean, Morgan and Fury here, they're great in the weight room with just being open to what the players done. And they do like, they work with you and explain why they want you to do this instead of that. And like, I've had other strength coaches where it's like, you're going to do this just because this is what we do. And I, my personality doesn't fit well with that. Um, I'm very, I like, I'm, I'm very coachable, but I like an explanation. If you come to me and tell me X, Y, and Z, I'll be like, okay. And then I'll, I'll do it. If you come to me and say, because I said so, it just doesn't sit well with me. And I'm like, I'm a grown man here. Like we're all grown men. Like we can, we can talk about this. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, I've, I've dialed it in over the last two or three years. And I feel like I have a pretty good idea of what I need to do to get ready. The one thing I, I joke with Caleb, our pitching coach all the time, I was like, the only thing I need to know is what am I? And I said, but I don't need to know because I'll do whatever. <laughs> so it's like, I just, I just mess with them a little bit. Hey, shout out Morgan, friend of the podcast. Yeah. You oh yeah. Getting, yeah, yeah. getting in shape down there. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't think I'll ever be in his shape, but he's getting me in shape. Who is? Yeah. yeah no <laughs> um, I saw, so 2023 was the most innings you've thrown since 2019. I want to bring that up because there, you know, fans will bring this up. I'll see it on X all the time. And it's just like, you know, sometimes I feel like there's a tendency for fans to blame like pitcher struggles on like, ah, it's too, he's most innings he's ever thrown. Like, right. could you feel that as the summer went on? Like, Hey, you know, my body, I'm doing more than I have in the past. Uh, you know, honestly, I didn't, I didn't feel that in, a lot of that probably had to do with the atmosphere we were pitching in. I mean, Citizens Bank Park will make you go numb and not feel anything. So, um, you know, I think that definitely helped me a lot. But, um, again, it just it comes down to what we do in the weight room, in the training room, to be prepared to, to pitch. Um, I don't think you'll ever hear a pitcher say I was tired and that's why my numbers dipped. I mean, there's – cases where you get injured or you have dead arm stuff like that. I never really experienced that. And I mean, I felt like I finished pretty strong. So more innings. What are the dog days of summer? Like, like what, what is it like as the season goes on? Like, you know, it's hot outside. You're, 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 you're pitching outside. It's like, what, what effect does that have? Yeah. I mean, as a starter, it definitely, definitely affects you differently. Um, just, just in your stamina. And I mean, it drains you, no doubt. Um, but again, like I don't, I don't really notice it anymore. It's kind of, it's kind of you're you're anticipating it. Um, I mean, I know coming into spring, I'll feel really good the first week of spring, and then by about my second or third outing of spring, I'll have dead arm, and it's like it'll just be on the outside of your arm, like it's like it literally feels like someone just Charlie horsed you, like right here, and it's like you don't feel like you're throwing hard, but it's still coming out. You just feel like you're almost moving in water and it's like, nothing's hurting. It's just the the volume increase. And then you kind of get that, that same feeling, at least for me, I kind of get that same feeling, say probably like post all-star break, like the first of August, the second week of August. And then after that, it's, it's good. Like, it's just kind of like those two little five, 
five day periods of like, holy crap, I need to get this thing going, move it around, wake it up. But uh, otherwise, I mean, uh, again, I feel like I've dialed it in with my off season to, to get me through, get me through October. We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from two apparel sponsors of this podcast. The first is Zero Negative. They are a brand out to inspire and empower individuals to find a positive message in everything they do every time. They promote positivity and mindfulness in all of their products. Check them out at zeronegative.com. And last but not least, Few Will Hunt. It's one of my favorite brands out there. It's a great American company out of Philadelphia, out to restore the dignity of hard work. It is by far my favorite shirt to work out in. Check them out online at fewwillhunt.com. Now back to the episode. Did you stay in starter mode the entire year of like training and preparation? Or did you like once once they're like, hey, you know, we're, we're going to put you back in the bullpen. Like, did anything change about the way you prepared? Uh, so when I showed up to camp, I was a reliever and kind of again in Boston, I was I came to camp with Boston as a reliever, got to go through the whole year as a reliever and felt really good finishing the year in Boston. So kind of knew what a good year as a reliever felt like. So when I signed with Philly coming into spring, they told me they wanted me to be a reliever, whatever. So went through the same off season, got prepped, came into spring, kept doing what I was doing. And then they were like, Hey, we're going to make you a starter. And then again, going back to Morgan and Fury, they were, they just sat down with me. They're like, Hey, we like the program you do. Let's just add a little more conditioning into the lifting part of the program as you're lifting. So like we just put like intervals in between each set of lifts and just change that. And then when I was done starting, we laid back on the, on the uh, conditioning side of it and just more strength side of it. So um, really for me, my, my strength program, whether I'm starting or relieving would be the same. It's just going to be the conditioning for me sense i have a question because i've i've heard some players and some pitchers cite like long-term health concerns like they want to you know preserve their health throughout the entire course of the season i want to be able to finish 162 so like you know not pitching more than an inning not like three days in a row like as like a competitor like the fierce competitor you are like can can you shine some like light on this kind of thing like have you seen that and like are the concerns of like you know i'd prefer to not go more than three outs because i want to pitch all year is that like something that like is that like a valid concern? I feel like you're setting me up for a specific someone, but uh, no, for me, it's, uh, I mean, this may sound over the top, but I mean, if I, if I die or end my career playing baseball, that's what I want. That's what I love doing. Like it is what it is. So for me, it's like, I throw every pitch with no regards for my human health. Like it is what it is there's a business to this, this entirety. Like, I mean, there's more money in this game than we can imagine. And it is important for guys to stay healthy. So they do get paid. Um, I feel like I'm past that in my career of looking to get paid. I'm looking to get one thing and that's a ring. Um, I mean, getting my 10 years, that would be cool. But, um, you know, I want, I want one thing and that's a ring, but you, I will never, I will never knock somebody for being like, Hey, I'm not throwing today because I've thrown three days in a row or I've thrown the last four or five. Like I'm not, I'm not throwing like we're, we're independent contractors in a way. So like, I understand, I understand the business side of it, but my personal belief, I grew up in a very competitive family and my dad would throw his shoe at me if I, 
ever walked into Topper's office and said I wasn't going to throw today. Okay. I, th- I think fans are going to appreciate this perspective. Cause like, I feel like, you know, we don't hear a lot about like the behind the scenes or like what guys individual interests are. And I feel like we always just kind of get this, like distilled, like, and it's either black or white. It has to be yeah. this or that. If somebody feels this way. And it's like, yeah, I, I think, I think that's a cool conversation that that's had. And, you know, maybe we'll have no a doubt. little more and compassion. I think, uh, I think teams do an unbelievable job of uh, protecting some guys, but then there's also teams that abuse guys. Like you have, you have both ends of the spectrum. Um, and again, I'll tip my cap to Topper. He does does a great job with his bullpen of resting guys, and I mean, giving a like making sure we're all ready for October. And some guys like me specifically, I don't understand that when I am compete in September, I'm competing. Like it is, it is what it is. And when the the spot in the lineup comes that would have fit for me, and they go to someone else, and I'm sitting here wondering like at least in my opinion, I would want guys on my team that are wondering why am I not throwing and leaving it up to the manager to be like, we're not throwing them today because we need them ready in two days. Like that's, that's not my job to, to, to worry about. Like it's hard enough getting these guys out in the big leagues to have to worry about other things like my well being. even like, it's like, it's not, it's, I want to worry about getting these guys out and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. I had a question because the MLB rule changes that were announced this winter, there's a couple tweaks. There's a couple things. And I even went back and listened to what you said last time about, you know, the pitch clock and the time it takes and how it's like affected your control of the running game. So they, they dropped it from 20 seconds to 18 with runners on. Um, And there's a couple other little ones, but like, do you have any thoughts on two less seconds? Like how is that going to impact your game this year? Um, I think it gets them one more commercial or something like that for the entirety of the game. So I don't know. I guess again, more money to spend in free agency. So I guess it's good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean like, so as the season went on, like, like the running game, like how, how did you fare throughout the course of last year? Cause I think that was probably the biggest, you know, change you probably experienced, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, without giving away my tricks, the biggest thing for me still is to try hold the ball. Um, so the one thing I think it, with a runner on, I think the hitter should have to be in the box maybe two seconds earlier. Like just kind of like give us a little, especially with, when our pickoffs are limited. Again, the only thing we can do is hold the ball. And even if we're going to hold the ball, they still have a clock of when we're going to go. And I guarantee you Tampa Bay knows how many the percentage of times I throw a pitch between four and three seconds and the percentage I throw a pitch between seven and six, like I'm sure that's all out there. So you, you, you gave them a starting block essentially when you put a clock on the field. So um, yeah. And I get it. Everyone wants offense. We want to see that, but uh, I don't know. I'm just a, I'm a traditionalist. I love the games inside the game and uh, yeah, I'm, Still, still trying to play them. I just I have a stopwatch on them though. Was that was that a hard pickoff move? That's what I've learned. <laughs> Wait, what did you say about your pickoff move? I need to start working on it. I'm, I've always thought lefties either have a really good move or a really bad move. There's usually not like lefties that you're like, ah, oh, that one's okay. It's either they pick off four to seven guys a year or no pickoffs, and it's like those are lefties, and I fall in the I don't have a move so. 
I, I need to need to work on my Andy Pettit. Yeah. So wait, is that something this spring that like is in the back of your mind? Like, you know, put a little extra time into that part of it? Yeah, no doubt. Um, Caleb, Caleb gets out here on the first, I believe. Talk to him a little bit about it. Um, I mean, the biggest thing you can do is just practice it. And really what you need is you need base dealers to practice with you. So you know what they're looking for or stuff like that. Like Caleb and I can sit there on the mound and I can practice with him and him tell me it looks good, but love Caleb to death. He's never stole a bag in the big leagues. <laughs> you got to get Trey to help you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, when you're, this is actually, I've always wanted to know this from a pitcher's perspective when you're facing an all or nothing hitter. Cause that's always something we talk about. It's like there's home run hitters and they strike out a lot. Like they're one or the other when you're facing somebody up there at the, at the plate, like does your mindset, like how do you prepare to face somebody that's so like dramatically one or the other like that? Yeah. Um, it obviously depends on like what, what kind of, how locked in they are. in at that time, um, like one of your free swingers in Baltimore, Chris Davis, when he was there, um, you know, that was the guy where it was like, not that you didn't want to hit his bat, but it was like, if you kept it up, you felt like you get him. So that's kind of like, I'm just going to attack you with everything I got at the top of the zone. When you get a guy like judge, when it, when you feel his swing, every time he swings, you almost feel like you got to be more fine with everything, which plays to his advantage with pitchers trying to do that. They tend to leave more mistakes. So again, for me, I, I mean, I love riding or dying with my fastball. So it's, it's for me, it's just forget about them and compete with your best. And um, again, hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things to do in this world. So uh, yeah, just have the confidence in yourself. And I mean, I, I love a challenge. I love the guys who swing hard because I like to throw the fastball. And if they're going to get it, we're going to have something to look at. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what I've always appreciated about you. It's just like, you're my best against his best. You know, yeah. you're out there on the mound. You're not trying to nibble. I feel like you're always just trying to go after guys. Like, and you've had a lot of success doing that. Was there ever a point when you're in your own head too much about that kind of thing? Like, oh my God, I hope I don't miss because it's going to be 500 feet over there. Yeah, I can remember in 2017 when I made made the team out of spring. Um, we opened up in Minnesota. And my first outing in Minnesota I think I walked the first guy on four straight pitches of my first opening day roster. Walked the guy on four four straight pitches, and then I ended up walking one more guy, but I gave up a hit in between there, and I got pulled after the third hitter. And then we go to Houston – or no, the next day I threw again. And I come in, and I walked the first guy again. And from that point on, it was like almost like the opposite of – like tunnel vision. It was like pinhole vision. And it looked like I was trying to hit a keyhole from second base. And I uh, ended up having one more outing after that in Houston. I We got walked off on a walk-off walk. I ended up walking the guy to lose the game. And uh, it was in 2017, so nobody knows if he knew it was coming or not. But uh, yeah, walk-off walk. And then I got optioned. And I went down to AAA. And I remember telling Cam Gallagher, he came out for my first outing and asked me what signs I wanted to use. And I told him, none. I want you to set up down the middle. I'm going to throw it through you. And he looks at me and he's like, you mean all fastballs? 
I go, well, yeah, I can. <laughs> like, I'm not just going to start pitching out here without signs. Like, I need to find the strike zone. And that that honestly got me back on track. And um, it was a short window, but it was a scary window for sure. So, wait, the, ver- the very next, like, day after you had the walk-off walk, they, they sent you down? So, no, they actually let me fly home to Kansas City for our opening day because you know how they do, like, opening day, then another series, and then the next the next opening day. They actually flew me home for that opening day, sat in the bullpen for that game. We can't remember if we won or lost, but I didn't pitch, and then came in and I got optioned after that game, went to AAA, and then I think that was on a – so that had to be like a Thursday or Friday, and then on Sunday I threw in AAA. So it was – yeah, it was – I got I got optioned within, within a week of the season starting. Well, I, I was talking to Brian about this the other day, just like using things as like motivation or fuel. Like, are you the type of person that would like, that would be the kind of thing that you would use as like extra, like, all right, I'm going to, you know, use this as juice now. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I definitely, I definitely pitch with the chip on my shoulder. I always have. And, um, you know, it was just kind of one of those things of, it wasn't even to like stick it to them. It was just more so like, just quit being scared and just do your thing. Like, why are you, this isn't you. And, uh, just had to prove it to myself. So went out there in a triple a AAA game and decided I'm doing nothing but fastballs down the middle and see if we can get out of it. I think it was 11 pitches, got two pop-outs and struck the last guy out. So it was like, perfect. Got your confidence back. Probably. Exactly. Exactly. Dang. Uh, so 2022 versus 2023, I'm addicted to baseball savant. It's my new favorite thing. I'll just sit and look at graphs and charts and colors of things. Yeah. Um, and I was reading an article about this too. Like you, you added a slider and I'm yeah. fascinated by this. Uh, yeah. and your slider is legit. You, you know, you're 25%. You, that was your pitch rate. You threw it this past year. You had a 33% strikeout rate with your slider, but it's also kind of like a new thing. Can you talk about yeah. how you worked it into your arsenal? So it's actually, um, my entire life throwing, I mean, what Savant called my curveball. Is I mean, I still call it my curveball. It registers as a slider now. So really what happened was when I showed up to spring and here with Philly, Caleb and Cap started talking to me about, like, getting my slider to have more depth. And I was telling them, I was like, yeah, that's the biggest thing I struggle with is getting my slider below the zone. I can close my eyes and dump it in for a strike. Like, that's no problem. But finishing a guy with it, I could never do. And they just made a small tweak to my grip. They just rolled it back in my hand. I spaced my fingers out a little bit. And they're like, now just think the same thing. And I threw one of them and JT was catching me. It was my first bullpen and JT was catching everyone's because he was leaving for the WBC. <laughs> and uh, I threw it and Jay looks up and he's like, that was good. And then just kind of threw it ever since there. And then we actually changed the grip, changed the grip of it after the wild card series going into the, uh nlds so yeah we changed the grip and it got even more depth so i was like it's a new little toy i got and it's uh it's been working really well Uh, so wait how does baseball savant like register what a pitch is because i've had we've had a debate on this podcast i I still don't know the difference between a changeup and a splitter is um how do they register it and is that like a thing where it's like that's just not what it is i mean so when I was in Boston, I used to tell everyone I threw a curveball and a slider. 
And Veritech was like, no, you throw a slider and a cutter. I was like, okay, whatever. And then like one day he was talking to me. He's like, hey, you need to throw your slider more. And I was like, slider or cur- like which one? Like, cause I call him curveball slider. You call him slider cutter. So like to me, it's always like, why, why does a pit like the sweeper that that's not a pitch. I still don't know what a sweeper is. That's not a pitch. It's, it's a slider. Like everyone's like, no, a slider is different than a sweeper. No, just because one guy throws it, like, are we going to make up a new name for DeGrom's slider since he throws it 94 and nobody else does? Like, we're going to, we're going to make him call it a cutter because it's above 90. Like, like the sweep, this changing your angles of your curveball or your slider doesn't make it a new pitch. It's just a different curveball or a different slider. And then, then there's a slur. Which I still Darvish, like. Darvish throws three different curveballs. He doesn't have three different names for him. He's just got three curveballs because he understands. Like, that is the master of pitching. He understands that this is a curveball. It is going to do this, but I can make it do – I can make it a little slurvier. It's still a curveball. Like, it's – yeah, I mean, you got to let these these guys have their, their lingo, I guess. Let them, let them have what they want. But, yeah, I don't – I, I, I always just ask my catcher, what do you want this to be? And what do you want this to be? <laughs> and then I'll throw it. Like, whichever one you want it to be, I'll throw. How many different pitches do you throw? Cause like, I feel like there's like, you might, you might still have a little that starter like arsenal, which is like four or five. Yeah. So I throw a four seam and a two seam. Then I throw a cutter and a slider and then a change up. Okay. Savant also called one of them a splitter or a sinker at one point. So yeah, it's definitely not a sinker. Like, I mean, it, that's the other thing with my two seam. If I throw my two seam, if you take a, the halfway line of the strike zone from top to bottom and you draw a line through the middle, if I throw my two seam above that line, it'll, it'll kind of ride up. If I throw it below that line, it'll sink down. And all that is, is just where I release it and how much more I hang on to it or more prone. Like we're talking millimeters of difference in the hand that affect that pitch. So for them to be like, oh, it's a sinker. Well, I don't even know what it's going to do when it leaves my hand. It might be a two-seamer. It might be a sinker. It just depends on where it is on that line. So, again, like, am I going to say I throw three pit or three fastballs because one is a two-seam and one sinks and one rides? Like, no. I throw two fastballs. One just does something. Noted sinker ball pitcher, Matt Strom. I mean, that would be kind of cool though. Like I feel like sinker ball pitchers are in like their own kind of breed. Like, you know, that could, that could have got you drafted by the Rockies back in the day. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. (laughs) We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from the official sponsor of not for long media and the breaking bats podcast, the original fudge kitchen. It is a staple of the Jersey shore with six locations in Cape May, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and ocean city. The original Fudge Kitchen makes all of their fudge in-store guaranteeing a delicious product, so stop by and let them know that Not For Long Media and Breaking Bats sent you. Check them out online at fudgekitchenswithans.com as they are shipping fudge and sweet treats all across the country. Now back to the episode. So I want to stick with pitching. Uh, The Phillies brought back Aaron Nola. I am such a big fan of his. Like, just the model of consistency. Like, playing with him this past year and watching him compete. Like, what, what have you liked about playing with him and what makes him so good at what he does? Yeah, I mean, his he's very routine oriented. He's, I mean, he knows what he needs to do for every fifth day to take the take the ball and give us six innings. Uh, he's 
he's the ultimate pro. Um, does all this stuff. Uh, I mean, you can't. There's not a bad thing to say about Nola. He, he, him, and I were locker mates, so got to know him quite a bit. And he's just a down to earth guy. He's, I mean, you ran into that guy in the street, you'd have no idea he's as rich as he is. <laughs> he's such a such a simple man and such a hard worker that, um, yeah, he's he's fun to be around and it's fun to talk to, no doubt. I just like the idea of like players playing for one team. Like I love yeah. one team guys. Is yeah. that something that like? Is that do you think that players like that feeling too? Like if they, if they if players had it their way, they would stick with one team for their entire career. Yeah, I mean, I I think the the hardest part for me every year is the like from San Diego to Boston to here was the like you learn all new people and you leave people behind. It's like it's not they're like they're gone from your life, but you don't you don't see them every day and you you build relationships that are going to last a lifetime and you go from seeing people every day to all of a sudden now got to learn a whole new, new room and not even knowing what next year brings. So um, I definitely think guys love that security of knowing what they have and what they've built in a certain area. Like, but I mean, it's very rare to see. I can't even think of many other guys other than Nola right now that have 10 plus years with the same team. Yeah. Well, it was like Kershaw, but I don't, I don't Kershaw, really know what's yeah. with him. Kershaw. Yeah. But like other than that, I can. It's very rare. And yeah. like, I like as a fan having like the ability to cheer for somebody for so long. Like. No it, doubt. You know, you buy, buy the jersey and things good for 20 years. No doubt. Um, That's like Todd Helton, 17 years. Could you imagine that with. That's 17 years with the Rockies. That's what. The, yeah. The most probably. That's like the best for routine ever. You can just buy a house and just like. Don't have to worry about renting anymore. You buy a compound, move your extended yeah. family out there. <laughs> um, going back to the Orioles though. Uh, so Craig Kimbrell, obviously coming over to Baltimore, yeah. he's been doing it for so long at such a high level. Like, is there anything about like the way he prepares or like, did you like, what, what did, what was the Craig Kimbrell? Like, what was it like being teammates with him? Yeah. I mean, he's an ultimate, ultimate teammate. And I mean, he's going to, he's definitely a friend of mine for life. Uh, got to go down to his farm in Tennessee, actually this off season hunt with him, which was cool. But I mean, Craig is again that, I mean, I keep repeating myself, but the Phillies clubhouse is full of pros. And Craig is a guy who, again, you, you probably know what time of day it is based on if Craig's stretching or if Craig's in the weight room or if Craig's out in the hallway FaceTiming his daughter. Like he's very, he's very routine, big family man. Um, but uh, yeah, something about him, like out in the bullpen, something that sticks out to me from him in the bullpen was when he got out there, he was just a happy go lucky guy talking to the boys, talking to the boys. And then as it was like seventh innings wrapping up, you almost just see like uh just like a seriousness set in and it's he starts doing his stuff and then he gets over on the bench and he pulls his pants up over his knee ties his shoes and then when that phone rings like they haven't even told him he's in the game yet and he's already slamming his pants down over his over his cleats and i just remember one day watching it and being like it's over (laughs) sorry (laughs) like it's over so yeah it was it was it was cool to watch and uh yeah, he's he's been doing it forever. He's, I mean, undoubtedly a Hall of Famer, and I mean, he's I was very very fortunate to be able to call him a teammate last year and get to see him do his thing in person. Wait, so 
when he sees the phone ring, he gets ready, even not knowing if it's him. Like, what if it's like you or somebody else? Like, has there ever been like, actually, no, yeah. it's not you. It's not you, Craig. Yeah, no, it definitely, definitely had happened a couple times. But again, that it's, it is what it is. But 98% of the time you hit it on the head of like knowing this is him. The other ones were probably him thinking it was him, but him being told he was down and then him telling him, no, I'm not down. And they're like, well, we're not going to use them, but he can think. <laughs> like, but that's just the way he is. He's the guy too, where he never, he's not going to walk into your office and tell you he can't pitch today. I think last year was the most outings he's ever thrown in his career other than his rookie year. So it's like, that's again, those are the guys you want on your team, especially in the bullpen. Those are guys you want in a bullpen with you. So it's, it was, I was, very fortunate to be his teammate last year. I'm very fortunate to have him in Baltimore. Yes, it should be. Uh, got a good one. Do relief pitchers also just have like a sixth sense for like knowing like it's my time? Yeah, I mean, you kind of, especially later in the year, you kind of know what everyone's roles are. Um, it's just kind of like, I mean, Hoffie and I knew – there at the end, it was like usually if the starter got in trouble, depending if it was lefties or righties, it was either going to be Hoffy or myself. And then if it was going to be a clean inning with a lefty leading off, it's probably going to be Alvarado after the sixth. Like you just kind of you kind of learn like you feel those things out and you kind of you know your pockets. And I mean, I knew every time we played the Marlins, it was a little pocket with a rise in Jazz, and it was like okay. When this one's coming up, I'll start moving around and wait for the phone to ring. And if it doesn't ring, I got six more batters until we get back to it. So we'll see. But you like, kind of, especially with the way the game's going with numbers now, like I, I miss the days of the 14-15 Royals where it was like seventh inning. Oh, your your best hitters are up? Well, Kelvin Herrera's coming in no matter what. Like here he is because he's our seventh inning guy. I kind of miss those days. But, again, I understand it. It's a numbers game and got to play the numbers. Did you know that your number was going to get called uh, to close out the NLDS against Atlanta? So I didn't know that going into it, but when, uh, when you looked around the bullpen and you saw them use Alvy early and then they used Craig in like the seventh, I think it was, I think they used Craig in the seventh, Alvy in the sixth. And then I'm looking around and I'm like, Hmm, Soto gets in trouble here. It's going to be a lefty, uh, that's going to be me. So I was like, all right, here we go. And sure enough, it happened. And I don't remember much after that. Where does that moment rank in your career? Oh, definitely. Definitely the number one moment. I mean, anytime you are on the mound to get the last out of a playoff series and to be stormed by your teammates like that, um, you can't, you can't really top that other than if it's the one for the world series. So I'd have to say it's definitely probably number one. Especially since they got a Tops Now card out of it. <laughs> oh, did you really? Yeah, they made a Tops Now card of it the next day, so I thought that was pretty cool. How many baseball cards of yourself do you have? Jeez. Uh, do they just send you like? Yeah, I mean, I have probably 70 different like image variations of cards of me. I don't know how many copies, like I have multiple copies of each one, but I mean, I have 14 or 15 different rookie variations. And then I have most of all my heritage and update series cards. 
So over eight years, that would be like 16. So yeah, probably like 30 different variations. That's cool. You ever just rip a pack and you're like, oh, there I am. Yeah. So last night we were actually opening cards with my brother and uh, we have a running joke like five, six months ago when I was opening up a box, some of the boxes tell you if you have like, they guarantee you an auto in them or something. And I had a box that guaranteed you one auto and I opened the box and I put the packs on the table and my brother reached over and grabbed one and he opens it up and it was a one-on-one Jason Dominguez printing plate. And I was like, are you kidding me, dude? I just sat down to open this $300 box of cards. You grab one pack and you hit the hit out of it. Like, are you kidding me? So we have this running joke when he grabs a pack. So last night I was opening cards and he reached over and he grabbed a pack and he's flipping through them and he starts freaking out. He's like, oh, and he turns it around. It was one of mine. He's like, match trouble. <laughs> and I was like, you're lucky it was that. I was going to be pissed again if you, you got my hit. <laughs> you pull a, a card that you signed. Um, yeah. Ooh, here's one. Do you guys play MLB the show? Do baseball players play MLB the show? I know some, I know a lot of guys do. I'm not much of a video gamer. Uh, I kind of fell into the Fortnite thing a little bit, but I mean, I don't think I've played that for like three years now. So, um, yeah, I'm not a big video gamer, so okay. I don't personally. I've always wondered if like, if like, if like active players are playing it and they're like, do they, do they choose themselves? Like, I don't know. I feel like that would be maybe too meta. Yeah. I mean, if I chose myself, I would go in and I would change myself to a first baseman probably and boost all my hitting accolades up and then just play that way. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. Um, okay. We'll do a couple last, last questions for you. Thank you, Matt, right. as yeah, always, no problem. man. No problem. Um, I saw, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your entrance song, it's, it's Tim McGraw, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. How it's how bad do you want it? How yeah. did you pick that song? And would you say you're a country guy, like country music fan in general? Yeah. So believe it or not, when I was, I want to say like 12 or I was probably like anywhere from 11 to 13 when that song came out. And every time we'd go to the lake, my mom was a huge Tim McGraw fan. My mom and dad were huge Tim McGraw fans. And, uh, we listened to it all the time. And my mom would always joke that that was like, how bad do you want it, Matt? Like, you know, you want to make the big leagues? You got to work. How bad do you want it? And so I actually walked out to that all of high school and I walked out to it all of college. And then um, I never chose a walkout song in my big league career until I was in Boston. And in Boston, I just went with something that was kind of like a little – Kind of had a little Irish vibe to it. A little, it was it was good. It matched matched Boston. And then when I came here, I was like, "Yo, they have a Tug McGraw plaque out in the bullpen. Like, there's no like this is if this is not stars lining, I don't know what is. Like, I got to bring back the How Bad Do You Want It? And my mom loved it. And yeah, it was sweet. Dang, that has, that's a long story. I feel like every time I notice something like like the number 25 and there's always like, you always have like a cool story. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I, I usually do things with a purpose, not just, not just by the seat of my pants most of the time. If, if you could steal somebody else's entrance song though, who on your team, who, who would it be? I feel like the Phillies might have some bangers in there. Um, I mean, I mean, you got to go with Bryson Stott. The entire stadium sings it like that's so sick. You have, to, you, have to wait. 
Oh, that's such a good one. Okay. Yeah, and like the entire stadium busts out. Did you not see the home run he hit with the just the fan audio? The grand slam he hit? I have to go back and watch it. You got go to look it up with no, no audio and just listen to the crowd because they're still singing his walkout as he hits the grand slam. It's wild. Oh, okay. I, I, Harper, I might just take Harper's. The, I feel like he's, does he still use the Moby song? Where Yeah. I feel like Harper has like three or four different ones that he like kind of rotates. So, okay. But, but yeah, I mean, the, the one that sticks out to me the most is Stotts. I, I like Stotts. Um, and I like Rangers. So it's, is his, is it Mr. Rager? Mr. Rager. Everybody did. Are Minnesota there some players? That, they all had it. Yeah. All right, do do players have like strong opinions on like uniforms or like I can't I can't stand that one. So Nola Nola doesn't like the the baby blues, but Nola's funny because Nola's got to wear his socks for two weeks before they're broken in. <laughs> so he's uh he's finicky on how he feels, which I I give him crap about all the time, and it's it's funny, but but some guys are particular in that way, and I totally get it. Like you don't want to be uncomfortable in something, especially when you're trying to compete at such a high level. Is that like how Brandon Marsh just keeps his hair wet the entire time? Is that just yeah? Like- that, that he loves the feeling of his hair wet, and I'm like, yo, I yeah. could not, I could not do that. <laughs> as soon as I get in for pitching, like I usually go out my, I shower before the game so my hair is damp, and then I go out and it's, I mean, it gets as wet as I sweat, which sometimes in Philly is a lot, and then I can't wait to get into the clubhouse and get my hair up off my neck when it's that wet and sweaty sticking to my neck i don't like that <laughs> i feel like i'll look at it, like show the dugout and i just see him like with like a cup of water just like going at it oh he'll, he'll just go double double bottles of water pour them over <laughs> his head you can you can see the whole back of his jersey will be wet especially when we're on the road wearing the grays you can see it <laughs> yeah so it's like you're already sweaty enough and like the gray is not a flattering color for that and then right. it's just damp <laughs> yep yep um, I think, I think the first time we had you on, I asked you about, cause you're a Joe Maurer guy, I think, right? Yeah. Yep. Hall of Fame, first ballot. Like yeah, some awesome. people were not fans of that. Um, when you watched and played against him and just like being a fan of his, like he, he, did you feel he was a first ballot guy? Yeah. I mean, I think Ken Rosenthal said it, said it best when he said he looks at for the Hall of Fame, you have to dominate a decade. And I feel like too many people, I feel like, I feel like too many people dog Mike Trout right now too. It's like, dude, this guy's done it for over a decade in this game. Like, and he's still doing it at the top and still being one of the best in the league. Like you, Joe Maurer for 10 years was hands down the best catcher in the league. And you couldn't argue. He hit over 300 every year as a catcher, like Buster Posey and him, right? Like that's it. And so, I mean, the, the people like, the people that don't want him in, it's because they're like, oh, he probably didn't do anything in the playoffs. Well, he played for a small market. They never really spent money. The money they did spend was on him. And it's like they didn't really build around him after they gave him that deal, and that you can't punish a guy for that. Like, I mean, when you're voting for the Hall of Fame, it should be, it should be for 162 games. Like, you're voting based on the 162. Like, are we going to – like, no matter – Randy or Rosarina could go on to be a Hall of Famer, but because he's the best postseason player of a decade, is he a Hall of Famer? Like, 
Is that is that more important than what Joe Maurer did for 162 over 10 years? You have to like, put every player from the Yankees in the 90s in at that point. Exactly, exactly. They all need to be in there. But no, I think Joe Maurer for me was for sure, for sure a Hall of Famer. It was, I was a little surprised that it was first ballot, but I was super excited, especially as growing up a fan of his and watching him play. Um, that was that was cool to watch, and uh, yeah, it'll. I mean, ultimate ultimate dude. The best, like the clear cut number one at his position for so long, and people are like, oh, what about this catcher, or what about this catcher? It's like, no. I don't know. A lot of these guys weren't you know, winning three batting titles. <laughs> and that's the other thing too. Like again, Yadier Molina, hall of famer, right? Mm-hmm. He did not do what Joe Maurer did with the bat. No. And Joe Maurer was still a gold glove back there. An elite defender catcher standing six, four, six, five. Like that's also unheard of. Like the last catcher that was that big was who Matt Wieters. He was Joe Maurer with power. Right. Yeah. But it's like, also though, the, the Joe Maurer power thing that the the twins screwed him on building that new stadium. They did not take Joe Maurer's swing into account when they, and they should have because he had six more years in that park or whatever it was. The pre-target and the post-target field, Joe Maurer, also yeah. the first base move. But yeah, that was, that's when you look at the baseball reference, you're like, Ew. right. But I mean, the Metrodome played well for him, the big, the big bag out in right field. And then, put them outdoors and you have a giant wall in his power alley to right center. And then the, his left center power alley is the bullpen's way out there. It's like, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> the ballpark was not conducive to Joe Maurer's power. I think no, it did, did him a disservice. Yes, it did. No doubt. Didn't you strike, did you strike him out or what was the at bat story you said? I did. So that was, I don't know if you saw last year, the twins, when they had him throw out the ceremonial first pitch, they had the pitcher come out. That had that struck him out in high school. It was the only pitcher in four years, and uh, so that story was just that. That story goes across the Midwest. When I was in high school, is like Joe Maurer is a freak. He's a legend. Never struck out in high school, or struck out once in high school. So when I got to the big leagues, it was kind of like uh, the one thing I set out is if I get Joe Maurer in the box, I'm not I'm not trying to get a double play ball or whatever. I'm trying to punch him out because he doesn't strike out. And I got him to strike out on a three-two pitch looking and it was a ball (laughs) so so he was correct but uh the umpire was on my side that day so dark in the corners yeah yeah also i love that video of just like the one guy that struck him out he just looks like a very average nice modest looking person and he's he struck out joe hall of fame catcher joe first ballot um okay last question uh, this is going back to the NLDS, the celebration when you guys won. Yeah. Um, I didn't know a lot about Garrett Stubbs before this year, uh, yeah. but he might be one of my new favorite players. Where does he rank in terms of all-time good vibes, guys, you've played with? Yeah, he's uh, he's at the top of the list, no doubt. Um, I got a, a good Garrett Stubbs story for you, actually. So him and I, our first four starts, my first four starts a year with all were all with Garrett. So it just it happened to time up to where JT either caught a night game and we're throwing a day game or whatever. And they were all four with Garrett. And we're in Cincinnati and I having an awful start. Um, it was like the first inning. I walked a guy, was going full count on everybody, and second inning go out, walked the first guy on like four pitches at the top of the zone that were absolutely nutted, just boom, 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 boom. All four balls. 
and I was pissed and Stubby could tell I was, and he calls time and he runs out to me and dude, like I've only known Stubby for like spring training in the like month of the season at this point. And he's always just been a happy go lucky dude, all about the vibes. And this dude comes out to me looking up at me and he just barks. He's like, those are right there. I let him know it. Keep pounding the zone. <laughs> Maybe a few explicit explicitives. And I was just like kind of taken back. And I was like, damn, I just got put in my spot by a 5'10", 170-pound catcher. I was like, what? I was like, I like this guy. This is awesome. <laughs> so he's just got – He's, he he reads the room really well. Like when it when it's time for him to get the guys going, he's he is the show. And uh, when it's time to be serious, it's he's I mean he's serious on his days that he catches. He's the first one in that clubhouse. Um, he's got his binder open, going through the lineup. Like he's he's all about it, and uh, he does a very good job of managing it. Um, one of the one of the best backup catchers I've seen of like how he just handles that role. I've had backup catchers that are sour that they're not getting at bats or not getting to play, but you know, Stubby Stubby does an unbelievable job at his job and knowing what he needs to do to to contribute to this team and happy happy to have him back. I love throwing to that guy. That's the best. Yeah. Is- <laughs> I yeah, I like I like I said like I just saw like the overalls and the and the Bud Heavy helmet and I'm like, yeah. you know what? I kind of I might be I might get a Stubbs jersey now. This guy no, seems like the best. Yeah. There should there should be plenty of uh stub jerseys fucking floating around this year, but uh he he's the man and like I said, he knows he knows how to keep the clubhouse loose and uh the the guys love him. That's the and that's what you need from a backup catcher too. Like that's exactly like it should be all about good vibes and like preparation and yeah, that's no doubt. No doubt. He 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 kills it, dude. He's best I've seen. <laughs> It's like a backup quarterback. It's like how, how do backup quarterbacks stay in the NFL for 15 years? It's like Chase Daniel, probably the best good vibes guy ever. Probably. Right. Exactly. You gotta be. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Well, this has been fantastic, Matt. You're the man as always. Thank you for coming on. We'll have to get you back on again, get the four, you know, tie Pete Fairbanks. So yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, best of luck this season, dude. And uh, you know, we'll be following. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. Playing on your radio, coming through your stereo, and everybody's getting down. You can see the let it go, running like a video, you're haunted by the weight of Son